All right. Welcome to, uh, we'll call this the Easter edition of Backlash Podcast. I'm only saying it's Easter because, well, today is Easter. You're not going to hear this on Easter, so hopefully you had a happy Easter. I hope Brad, it, Brad, do you have a happy Easter today? Yeah, we really did. We had a great time today. Yeah, it was good to uh, good to see family again. That was pretty cool, and the old rabbit came and took care of my kids. Now they're all hopped up on chocolate and jelly beans, so that's pretty sweet. Maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe that's why I'm out here in the shop talking uh, musky fishing with you on a on an Easter night. Yeah, you're letting Mel do all your heavy lifting again, right? Yeah, she's got to try to put them back to school. It was spring break for the last week, and now they're going to go to school after they've been eating, eating candy at Grandma and Grandpa's house all day. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Literally sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so, um, Brad, this feels a lot like, uh, it feels a lot like musky season. You know, it's, the weather outside is beautiful. I don't want to talk too much about the weather because sometimes it's kind of boring listening to other guys talk about the weather in a podcast, but the weather's beautiful. It's a Sunday night, and so those two things usually go hand in hand because during the musky season, although this is kind of early at, at e- you know early evening for us to be podcasting on a Sunday night, but this is what we do on Sunday nights of, uh, of musky season. We talk to whoever we can get a hold of because it's musky season and guys are out fishing. Sometimes they're out fishing late, and Brad's out fishing late, and so... It's, uh, I guess we're going to start to get in the normal flow here, Brad. It's, uh, I mean, it's almost that time, you know, the Southern Wisconsin guys, I think it's less than four weeks to go. I think it's May 1st is the opener in Southern Wisconsin. And that's the earliest the opener can be. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, time just seems to fly by Jeff, but, uh, you know, when we're in the middle of winter, it's like, man, it's never going to go. It's never going to be, get there. You know, you just feel like it's never going to happen. And, Man, once it starts coming around, it's just boom, boom, boom. It's fast and furious. So you're right. I mean, we're kind of down to the wire here. Yeah, absolutely. We're running out of weeks where you and I can, you know, get together in the afternoon and and get a guest and record podcasts because pretty soon they're all going to be scattered on the water and we got to try to, we got to try to vampire it like we're old Malax musky anglers, you know? Yeah, that's about it too. I mean, I've said it many times that we lived like vampires for many years out there. I guess now I'm podcasting after uh, late at night. So same kind of deal. Yeah. Nothing beats the after midnight ones that we were doing in the early days of the podcast. We haven't done that in a while, and I hope we can avoid that as much as possible. But uh, yeah, We should do a couple that way, Jeff. Come just, on. Just for old time's sake? Yeah, I mean, it's just for a good time, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, for anybody that cares, you're listening to Backlash Podcasts. I don't know if I said that in the intro or not. We have a guest today, Ryan Becker. We're going to talk about Iowa muskies. If you're looking for gear for your muskie season, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We are your source for muskie gear for 2021. As as always, we continue to get more and more inventory in every day, every week. Um, let's see, what did we add this week? I don't know, we added a bunch more stuff from Brad. Not new colors, just more triggers and more detonators because they've been hot as heck and we've been having a hard time keeping them in stock. And so we got some more of those. Uh, looks like unweighted Suix will probably be here by the time this podcast arrives. We've gotten some new colors from Spanky Baits and just got restocked on Chaos Tackle and on and on and on. So if you're looking for gear, www.teamrhinooutdoors.com is your place to be. And my co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And I'll let Brad talk about musky mayhem tackle. Yeah, it's pretty simple. You know, we're the originators of the flash boo bucktail, the non bucktail, if you will. 
And, uh, you know, we're proud to, to do that and produ produce the baits that we produce. We have two of the new baits, the detonator, as well as the trigger. And if you haven't heard about them, you can definitely go to uh, Muskie Mayhem Tackle's uh, website and check them out. Or feel free to go to our YouTube channel and you'll see a couple different ads that we did for, for those particular baits this past season. As well as our pro staff profiles. We are, let's see, when this comes out, it'll be like three days after we released our fifth and last one for the season of our pro staff profiles, which will be Donnie Mann's. Check that out. Give us a, a like on there and, and subscribe to Muskie Man Tackle's YouTube channel. And you can also find us on Facebook as well as Instagram. Speaking of YouTube, guess what, Brad? We've uh, we got a YouTube channel as well, Team Rhino Outdoors on YouTube. And we've actually been putting out new videos. I think somebody was giving me a hard time, though. They are talking about our last one had something to do with fall muskies, and they're like spring. And I'm like, no, it's fall. Stuff, <laughs> <laughs> stuff I probably should have put out about, I don't know, four months ago. But like we talk about every single week on this podcast, our customers have been super awesome during the winter and they've kept us plenty busy with lots to do. And so editing had to take a back seat. Podcast never takes a back seat. YouTube editing always takes a back seat. And so we've been slowly still putting out videos from the stuff that we filmed last year. And we'll probably start doing some informational videos here coming up soon enough because it's, it's musky season. I mean, that's like Brad said, it seems so far away, but now you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's awesome. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite times of year. The beginning of the season is awesome. And then I really, really look forward to fall like September. Those, those are the best ones. I don't particularly love the beginning of the season because the fishing is so awesome. I just like it because we're back out on the water and it's not frozen. Yeah. I, I guess I can't argue that, you know, and, and the neat thing is, is part of this podcast. Um, the reason we're doing this is I happened to be down in Iowa two and a half weeks ago. So, you know, the cool thing is, is, already been on the water fishing muskies we had success and that was awesome and it kind of charges you up a little bit and <laughs> now i gotta sit here and wait till uh the first saturday of june here in minnesota unless i slip back down to iowa or maybe over into southern wisconsin we'll see what happens well, i should probably think about slipping but down to both of them but uh, yeah, absolutely yeah for sure so the podcast we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk mostly about Iowa muskies, like Brad had alluded to. We're going to kind of give you an idea of the lakes down there. Uh, we're talk a little bit about pre-spawn muskies. We're going to talk a little bit about you know, kind of a little layout of the season, and that that's kind of it. It's just going to mostly be about Iowa muskies, kind of just give people an idea of what's going on down in Iowa, because I think a lot of people, when they think early season non-Wisconsin, Minnesota muskies, they're thinking Kentucky, they're thinking West Virginia, they're thinking Tennessee, they're thinking Kin Kincaid down in Illinois, and those are all great options. But I think sometimes Iowa is overlooked, and as Brad knows firsthand, it shouldn't be. It's a great fishery. Yeah, it really truly is, Jeff. And, I, you know, the neat thing about it is for most of our listening audience, I mean, we've got listeners all over the, the country as well as in the Canada, but, you know, it's an option that doesn't take 16 hours to drive or 10 hours to drive, you know? And, and I think, uh, you kind of hit it on the head with Kincaid and some of the other bodies of water in Illinois as well. Definitely some cool options that really kind of in the backyard, if you will. Well, especially for Minnesota guys, for them to slip down into Iowa, is really not a big deal at all. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of mind boggling, you know, and myself, I mean, I, 
I haven't utilized it in 20 some years. So think about that, you know, and I, I don't know why, you know, that's the weird part is I guess the norm would be that we're, you know, we're so busy at this time of the year. It kind of uh, just gets pushed to the back burner. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. And then it just never make it happen. So, well, I made it happen this year and it was a lot of fun. Well, I think with that being said, let's just get, uh, let's get the Ryan on. We'll have a conversation with him about some Iowa muskies. All right, our guest tonight is Ryan Becker. I say tonight because um, we're recording at night, Brad. We haven't done this in a long time. We've been uh, stuck doing stuff during the daytime, which has been nice. Uh, for anybody that cares, it's Easter. This is what uh, people with no lives do on Easter. They hang out and talk musky fishing. So, I mean, Ryan is a buddy of Brad's, and he does a really, really great job down there in Iowa. Heck, Ryan does a great job everywhere he fishes. I've seen plenty of big, giant muskies with Ryan. So we're excited to have him on, and we're excited to talk Iowa muskies because we haven't really ever done that before either. And you guys have a pretty cool fishery, as I would say it's not a hidden secret because the PMDT, I think, has done a pretty good job of exploiting it. Wouldn't you agree, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we got a good diversity of lakes, and then they had a couple PMTTs out at Spirit and west and east Okaboji and kind of lit it up. So Yeah. Like I said earlier, we're going to talk... Iowa muskies in this one, and we're going to talk to Ryan about them, but Ryan is no stranger to big, giant Minnesota muskies. Ryan's kind of, I'd say Minnesota and Iowa, those are kind of your deal, huh, Ryan? Yeah, those are my two states I spend the most time. Obviously, live here in Iowa, but I'm always up in Minnesota chasing those fish, so. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, no stranger to big ones. Ryan's put lots and lots of big fish in the net, so it's not like we're talking to some, some amateur. We got a we got a good guest on, good quality guest who puts a lot of fish in the net. And sometimes we've talked about it before on podcasts, Brad, is that like, you know, occasionally you have a guest that isn't uh, a household name, so to speak. And, and generally those are the guys that tend to put more muskies in the net than some of these other guys. It's the guys that lay low and don't really, they're not in the spotlight, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the neat thing about Ryan is that he's been doing it a long time. He's a younger guy, but Honestly, I mean, he, you're right, Jeff. I mean, you hit it on the head. He's put a lot of big fish in the boat, and uh, it's always interesting to talk to people like that. You know, the neat thing and the exciting part is, I guess we should let Ryan talk about it, but he's doing some guiding on the side now and basically providing an opportunity for, for other anglers to get in the boat with him and kind of see what he can do. So Ryan, why don't we jump into that? Why don't you talk a little bit about what you got going on right now as far as guide dates and your, your guide schedule and any of that kind of stuff for people that are looking to get in the boat with you. So I know, I mean, there's people, the Wisconsin season's coming up here pretty soon. I think the Southern Wisconsin season is less than four weeks away now, but to go to the Northern part of the, you know, the Wisconsin season, you're still talking another eight weeks, I think roughly. And there's some people that would maybe scoot down, even the Minnesota anglers, they might want to scoot down and take advantage of some of these opportunities that you guys have to offer. So why don't you talk a little bit about uh, your background, your guide business, and just take a few minutes to talk about yourself. Yeah, definitely. I uh, was born and raised here in Iowa and, you know, grew up walleye fishing with my dad. He was basically all walleyes, but uh, my first muskie I actually ever caught was trolling walleyes as a 48. But my uncle actually fished tournaments here in the state that's kind of what got me into actually fishing for him. Went out with my dad and one night we both, literally the first uh, 
bait I had was a blue silver double showgirl, and I caught my first ever muskie casting for him on my first cast. And then we proceeded to light him up that night. And then I was basically hooked. And that was kind of the start of the prime of the fishery here on my home body of water. And then uh, I started to venture out to the other lakes as it went on. But yeah, I'm doing some guiding, um, just part-time, mainly a, a lot of weekends. I still work full-time as well. So a ton of free weekends and the spring through early June, as soon as the ice goes out until that water, you know, jumps too high to where we can't fish on, on the boat. And it's, to me, it's the best fishing there is in the state is this right away from, you know, end of March when we've been fishing the last few years till the beginning of June, some of the best fishing we have. Plenty of opportunities coming up here on the weekends through April and into May. So people are out there, they're listening to this, they're interested in coming to Iowa, Ryan, how can they get a hold of you? Um, I got Facebook and Instagram, um, just Ryan Joseph Becker on Facebook. My Instagram is BeckDog23, and then my phone number is 641-529-2680. Awesome. Well, I just happened to have the opportunity, what, two weekends ago, Ryan, I guess it was, I when uh, when this comes out, I believe it's two and a half, three weeks, something like that. Two and a half weeks, I think. Uh, we put five fish in the boat with Ryan and had just an absolute blast. It was pretty cool. We were fishing around ice caps that were floating around, and we got to watch some of that ice actually blow out of there in the two days that we were there. We got everything on film, so that was cool, and uh, it was a good time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you guys came when you did because that bite was insane. And for whatever reason, that first week to two weeks of ice out is just fast and ferocious. Small windows, but they were insane. And that's exactly what we got to see. You know, I mean, it was pretty wild for me. Um, I think we probably blew uh, Matt Seifert's brain just a little bit more than our own. But, uh, you know, he was just like, man, I've never fished muskies this early. I've never fished, you know, ice out or pre-spawn muskies. And they're biting with like, I mean, they want to eat. That's the coolest part that I've seen. And super, super exciting way to fish. Honestly, I would rate it right up there with my favorite month of the year. And that being September, you know, those fish were just chasing and they're angry and they want to kill what's in front of them. So it was really, really cool. Yeah, definitely. They have one thing on their mind when that water's, you know, sub 40 degrees. They don't think about it. They're just eating. And a lot of people don't, you know, we played around with a bunch of different baits and caught fish on, you know, three, four different baits. And, you know, you caught your fish on a single girl and cranks and rubber. And as far, I mean, nothing's out of the book as far as that early season ice out stuff. And, and that's why I would call it almost like September, honestly. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a little mind boggling, but you know, <laughs> I think they've got some pent up energy after being underneath the ice all year. They haven't seen any baits, so, but they're chasing hard. They'll slam it hard. I, I just, it was really, really cool. I can't express how much fun it was. Jeff, you're going to have to go down there and give this a whack. 
Yeah, I was hoping to actually get out and do a little bit of fishing this spring, and I thought actually, I mean, I, I say spring, spring's just started actually, but I thought I'd have a chance to do it, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to right now, Brad. I mean, I, uh, well, you, as you know, I kind of dinged myself up this past week, so I'm not sure exactly what how that's going to affect my my abilities to stand and walk and move, maneuver in a boat here for a little while. It seems like it's healing, but it's been, you know, four days or whatever, and I'm definitely not 100%, so... But I definitely want to, and Ryan's even talked to me in the past about coming down in March to fish uh, fish some ice out muskies. I just, I mean, you know how it's been, Brad. This time of year is super busy. It is. There's hands down. I mean, that's that day-old challenge, you know, of making time. But uh, it's definitely well worth it, and I think you should, uh, you need to get after it. That's for sure. Once you're healed up, Jeff. I do, and there I have another opportunity to go to, I want to say it's like central Illinois on a river, and I want to take that opportunity as well, too, because it's just different adventures that I don't get a chance to do all the time. You know, that is, Brad. I mean, we're, I don't want to say we, we're stuck doing the same old, same old in the areas that we're, that we're at, and that's not, I mean, that's not necessarily the case, but in most cases, you kind of, you kind of stick to a, I don't know, you kind of get stuck in a rut, certain lakes that you fish during certain times of year, throwing certain baits, and I don't want to say every season sounds the same, but it's, you know, they're similar. I'm sure it's no different than you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, generally speaking, you know, the business side of things always kind of takes over your life. And this year without shows, it definitely freed up a little bit of time for me. And I know it did for you as well. It it just provided an opportunity and, you know, I got the invite from Ryan and I was just like, I got to go do this, you know, and I'm glad I did. It had been... I think I was telling Ryan when we were down there, I'm going to say it was 20 to 21, 19 to 22 years ago was the last time I was down on that lake. <laughs> so, I mean, think about that. That's pretty wild, but uh, it was well worth the trip. That's for sure. It is. And as we're going to talk about here, I mean, Iowa muskies are definitely a thing these days. They're not you know, they're not, I don't want to say they're not talked about because they are talked about in certain circles, but I like when people talk about early season muskies, they think West Virginia and Kentucky and uh, down at Kincaid and, and all that kind of stuff, but they don't think Iowa muskies. And I think that's, I think they're making a mistake if they're not considering coming over to Iowa. I couldn't yeah. disagree uh, with that whatsoever. And I think uh, Ryan's going to prove the point to us here today. For sure. So, well, Ryan, let's segue into that a little bit. Let's let's talk about the fishery in general. I mean, there, how many different lakes are you guys fishing? Do you know anything about stocking? Uh, let's just kind of go give a brief rundown of of the uh, fisheries themselves. I mean, how many? How, let's start by lakes. How many different lakes are there available to musky fish? You know, I want to say there's over ten now for sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure on exact numbers because there's some smaller lakes down south that have them that are super new and they just stocked a new one this spring it's going to be actually a catch and release only lake so that'll be super interesting in the next five to ten years to see how that one reacts being catch and release as far as lakes i fish i fish probably like six of them sometimes seven i mean there's some that are towards the southern part of the state that are definitely some sleepers as well smaller lakes but i kind of stick to okaboji spirit my home lake here um brushy is a good one that i hit so i'd say like five to seven lakes that i consistently stick to 
things too about Iowa, I would say that maybe is a little bit unique to a lot of these other states is the waterways that uh, kind of attach all of your bodies of water. Because Iowa really doesn't have a ton of bodies of water. But if you look at it, the creeks system that goes throughout the whole state kind of links some of those uh, bodies back together to one another. And I think some of those muskies are traveling some of that system as well. Would you agree, Ryan? Oh, a thousand percent. You know, the river right next to me has them and it goes into the shell rock and down into the cedar. And then from there it goes all over. I mean, and some of these lakes, they are getting out a few of them and yeah, they're traveling thousands of miles. Even I know some, one of our tagged fish from here was caught in like Missouri way down there. So yeah, it's pretty crazy, but they're definitely traveling. So one of the questions I have then is, you know, a lot of that system really isn't really fishable. Is it Ryan? Uh, not with like big boats. No jet boats, like Jeff likes and smaller John boats and stuff. I actually know a guy that specifically targeted them in one of the rivers this last year and had like really good success. Definitely something to keep our eyes on as well. Absolutely. Next year, Brad, we get the jet boat next year. You said that last year, Jeff, come on. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> the time goes by so fast, you know, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh I guess I just got to keep dangling that carrot out there. I I don't disagree. Uh, you know, a jet boat would be super, super cool. I, I myself would like to have one one day. Um, I do have plenty of John boats where I can slip into some pretty skinny water, but I definitely think that jet would, would make, uh, make a whole world of difference. I've had the opportunity to fish out of them. It's super, super cool. It'll, basically just allows you to get into places that nobody else can, you know and I mean? That's huge. Well, especially as muskies become more and more popular to try to find, you know, different out of the way spots is definitely, uh, I mean, it's for sure an advantage, I would say. Absolutely. So Ryan, we kind of hit up the, uh, the Iowa Lake side of things, but there's also a lot of reservoirs that are holding some of these fish as well. Correct. Yes. Um, there's three reservoirs that have muskies and I do fish all three and compared to the lakes in the state, they're completely different fisheries. And obviously none of the lakes have shad except for these three reservoirs are shad based forage. So it changes, you know, the whole spectrum in my mind, as far as, you know, how to go about things and a little more open water scenario on those lakes versus like my home body of water here. So it's definitely fun to, you know, go there and mix it up. So what, you know, you're talking shad based reservoirs. What are we talking in? And I know the answers, but (laughs) let's hear it from you. What are the, uh, the actual uh, bait fish in the other bodies of water throughout the state, meaning the lakes? Basically perch, um, yellow bass, bluegills, there's walleyes in all the systems. And yellow bass is kind of a unique one to uh, here and west and east Okaboji. And we kind of had a big boom of yellow perch here. But before that, the main forage was those yellow bass. And it's kind of an invasive species, if you will. They kind of take over a lake. 
yeah, the muskies really love them. I mean, some of them can get to 13 inches, but on average they're eight to 11 inches. I mean, just perfect. And the muskies just, you know, it's just became, it's a schooling fish as well, like a shad. So they were a huge target for the muskies that have those in those lakes. And it's not only for the muskies. It sounds like uh, yellow bass are pretty good on the table as well. Oh, big time. Second, a lot of people's second favorite fish compared to walleyes here in this, my state anyway, in Iowa. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It, I, where are they originally from? Do you have any idea, Ryan? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know if overseas somewhere I'd imagine, but I'm not even 100% on that. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either. I, you know, I've always heard about them or whatever, but I, I have no idea where they came from. And like you said, they're invasive, but from where? You know, it's kind of a wild deal. Right. And that uh, that's actually why the new lake that's going to be catch and release only muskies, that's why they are stocking that with muskies because there's so many, they became stunted. So they wanted to introduce some, some predator fish, pike and muskies. And what, what body of water is that, Ryan, if you don't mind saying? Uh, it's Lake Cornelia. Okay. And that is located where? Uh, it's kind of mid-state here. Probably, actually, probably like an hour and 15 from clear. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, that, that just got stocked. So, I mean, we're talking five, eight years before we really see it making a big difference. But are they putting the true muskies in? I mean, let's talk about what kind of muskies are actually getting planted into these bodies of water. Yeah, they're, they used to be across, as far as I know, with Wisconsin and some, one other strain. But now it's basically just our own strain, and they take all the eggs from Okaboji and Spirit and then use those eggs and rear them and stock the entire state with those. And they say it's kind of its own strain now. Not a spotted strain, but they call it here in the state the Iowa Great Lakes strain. But it's still crossed between, I don't, I'm not sure, Jeff, do you know what all the strains are from Wisconsin? Because that's what it originated with as a, at least half of it. Wasn't it from Grindstone or Lakota, right? That's or what it was, point? Grindstone, yep. Yeah, I thought I remember seeing that at some point. Yep. Well, both Grindstone and Lakota Ray are known for big fish. I mean, think about the Linders. I mean, think about them back in the day. That's where they they kind of cut their teeth, you know? I mean, that it's great giant Wisconsin strain fish, so... I mean, I think Iowa was smart when they chose some of those uh, original fish. And I don't know how long ago the program started in Iowa, and maybe you can clue us in on that as well. Yeah, I want to say it was mid-90s, maybe. That sounds right. Yeah. I just can't can't remember for sure. You know, mid-90s, I would say for sure. I don't know if it was earlier than mid-90s, because my dad, oh, he's in his upper 50s now and they've been here his whole life so yeah super cool yeah well i think one thing our listeners might not understand some of them do is how long it takes to develop these fisheries that new catch and release fishery that you know ryan's talking about is probably going to be i don't know maybe what like 10 years before it's finally going to be putting out fish that are 
Yeah, I would. I mean, it, it might produce them a little quicker, but it's still going to take probably 10 years before you're seeing fish in the mid 40 inch range. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. At least 10 years for them to get to that mid 40 inch range, you know, with maybe some exceptions. You know, I mean, you're talking about the Iowa fishery getting started somewhere in the 90s. I, w- I want to say the Green Bay fishery was like 89 when they very first started it. And like, I would say, so 89 by 99, it probably was still about 10, 10 years before you started to hear stories of of it be a fishable population. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing how long it takes for these fisheries to, you know, to develop. I guess that's maybe why we've, we've seen a lot of stuff on Malax lately, why that's so sad because it's going to take so long to even tr- remotely bring that back to glory. Even, and that's even if they start tomorrow, you know? Oh, definitely. And I know some of those fish over on spirit that they used to gill that there was a huge 49, and a half inch or I think they caught it every year for a few years. And I think it got to like, I don't want to say like 21 or 22 years old. And it was only a 49 and a half. So, I mean, I don't know exactly where they peak and stop. Well, in that case, they must take, they must be a little bit slower growing fish. Slower. Yeah. Yeah. Because typically the ones that grow slower, they're actually going to live longer. Like I, I, from what I understand, the green bay muskies, they grow so fast that they burn out actually. And they don't live, they don't live quite as long. You know, Ryan, one thing I want to talk about, I hear about all the time is these silver pike that you guys have down there. Some guys confuse them for muskies. What's the story on those things? Yeah. Um, we have them here on Clear Lake, uh, Okaboji, Spirit have them. Kind of just, they... There's actually a good percentage when they stock pike now that are automatically going to be silver northerns. And, you know, I've actually caught some on West Okaboji that are like gold, but they're still a silver northern. It's just they get basically the sides are like a silvery clear. Like if you'd catch a really clean muskie, that's why people mistake them as muskies because they get that silver clean side and it looks nothing like a normal Northern except for, you know, the fins and the pores that it have underneath its jaw. Sure. So the, but, fin, uh, the fins are kind of uh, spotted like a, a Northern fin would be, but the rest of the body's more clear like a muskie. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. I hear, I hear stories about it when guys come down and fish the tournaments and stuff. I heard, I heard in the first year cause they were down, I think last year and the year before for the PMDT, right? They were, yep. yeah. I've heard guys in the first year when they came down, they're actually trying to register those things or they were confused by them in pre-fishing and stuff like that because apparently there must be an, a pretty good number of them. Yeah, there's a high percentage over on the Okaboji chain. I know that Iowa's had some challenges with uh, fish going through the spillway and kind of making their way down the stream and they, they actually have captured those fish, moved them back in the spirit. And within so much time, they're right back to where they were. I mean, they're escaping. What's, what's kind of the story there, Ryan? So for years they had nothing except the spillway and those fish were just going out at free will. Well, then they put in an electric fish barrier. And the problem with that was the fish only get shocked once going out and then they're out. So they were, you know, it wasn't affecting them. It just was one shock, but they're already out of the system. So then the DNR would go net them and bring them back all the way back up to Spirit Lake. So 
so miles and then within even a couple of days those some of those fish were already back down through east okoboji down through the lower chain and back out that spillway so they found that uh the electric fish barrier was basically ineffective which is and pretty that, amazing yeah it truly is and it's still a factor so i mean I don't know that they've talked to anything about further about what they're going to do with that, but yeah, it's on high water years, they lose a lot of fish. Now, is that going to change any of the stocking program just based on, you know, they know these fish are, are going through that system. Um, are they making any plans on adjusting their stocking because of it or what, where does that they, go? They actually already have. They started putting, I think, a few years here. The last few years, they did every year into spirit. And w what I've heard is their ultimate goal is to barricade spirit so they cannot leave spirit and, you know, keep spirit loading up with stocked fish and then still stocking west and east separately and just leaving that be. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about Spirit and Okaboji because, I mean, those fish are coming from Spirit. They're going into Okaboji, and then they are escaping out of Okaboji, correct? Yeah, correct. And I don't know, you know, what's the waterway between Okaboji and Spirit? Just a, I don't know, 100-yard, 150-yard spillway, and then it's right into east from Spirit to east Okaboji, so not far at all. Okay. I didn't, and then and eats, how, how, how big a body of water is that, that tie? I mean, is it something you can run a boat through or? No, no. It's just a basically brick spillway that connects the two and, you know, fish can go down it, can't get back up it. And then they're in East and then they can go from there down into upper gar, lower gar, Minnewashta. Okay. And then out. So the, the game plan by the DNR is to try to keep them in spirit, obviously. Yep. Interesting. So the PMTT, when they were fishing down there, they had the championship down there, was it two years ago? Correct. Were they, you know, so were they both on Okaboji and on spirit or was it just spirit? No, they were on both. But during that championship, you couldn't switch lakes during the tournament. And then last year when they had just a normal tournament there, you could switch lakes if you called in. I see. So in other words, you're putting the boat on the trailer, you're making your change for that time frame, and, and that's kind of where that all goes about anyway. Yep. Jeff, did you fish that system at all? Never have fished it. Nope. I didn't know if the PMTT was there back when you used to fish it. No, I mean, I, when, when I was fishing the PMTT more often, I was, I was over in Minnesota when we weren't in Wisconsin or Kentucky, you know, it was like, I mean, it's always Kentucky and Eagle river. And then I was over at, where did I fish fish? I fished on leech. I think I fished one other one over there and two. I can't remember who, which one it was, but then it was. I know I fished on Madison, so I would say half my tournaments were Wisconsin and the other half were elsewhere probably, but never in Iowa, never been down there. 
It's like the one of the only states that I shouldn't say the only states, but there's a there's a handful of them. But I definitely have never fished Iowa yet for muskies. It's for sure on my bucket list, as it should be. You know, um, I think maybe you know we kind of talked about all the different things that the DNR is doing in the stocking and different systems. Um, maybe it's time to shift gears and let's talk a little bit about this pre-spawn musky uh, bite that you kind of are working on, Ryan. And I know you've been doing it for years, so maybe you can give us a little just on what that actually looks like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as soon as the ice goes out on the lakes here, I'm trying to get on the water because that first day is, you know, it's for the first day, for the first week, it's phenomenal. I mean, as you got to experience, when that water just stays cold, those fish are chewing. And, uh, you know, when it starts to warm up, they start to spread out and kind of move to different areas. But I think when that water's super cold, like you said, they haven't seen the number of baits. They're congregated together. They're feeding. And, yeah. And as far as baits go, I mean, a, a lot of baits work. Crankbaits, big rubber, um, blades. You got to, you know, how you're fishing those baits, you know, you still want to be slow, but anything works. Yeah, I know, I know we move some fish on some gliders. We move some fish on, on the twitch baits and actually you caught, what, two, both of your fish came on twitch bait, correct? Yep. A bigger eight inch twitch crank. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, and again, that smaller bait theme for the spring or cold water like that, it definitely really wasn't a big factor in my opinion. Um, you know, and then Matt caught two fish on rubber. And so I thought that was kind of cool too. And, you know, the neat thing about it is, is that we were fishing some shallower sand as well. And I think those fish were kind of on the move the whole time. But once you got into them, I mean, you were on fish. Oh, absolutely. That's, I think they're just up there warming up and feeding and, you know, they stay within the area, but they are constantly moving. So you got to kind of move with them to stay on them. But then when that window opens up, you know, you can pop two, three fish fairly quickly. Definitely followed the theme, if you will, of uh, a shorter bite window, but we had some activity with some follows throughout the day. And what it boiled down to, though, was when it was time, it was time. I mean, you know, the, the weird part about filming is, is that it takes time to actually kind of make sure that you get the fish all on camera and that whole deal. So, I honestly, I think, Ryan, if we weren't filming, we might might have scored a couple more fish, actually. I mean, if one of us kept casting, I think we would have probably did better. I would agree completely. I mean, those... You know, we were using Matt's 360 imaging, and when you caught yours, um, I looked at the 360, and there was four, if not five, muskies swimming around on that 360 when you had yours in the net, for sure. Yeah, it was it was it was crazy, honestly. What kind of structure are you looking at to find these fish? I mean, is it primary? You talked about sand. Is that primarily what you're looking for? Sand flats? Yeah, I'm looking for sand flats or some access to deep water that comes up on a flat. I mean, you still want the deeper water close. Um, there's some stretches I hit that it's, you know, nine foot 
within a cast length of shore, that's a super good area to check out as well. You know, I don't typically hit rocks, although there are fish on rocks at this time too, but it just seems like the bigger concentrations of fish are on the sand. I would agree. That's what we've seen. I mean, it definitely was a huge factor. And I think a big part of that equation is, is that that sand is going to warm up quicker than the other water. So they definitely were trying to find that shallower, warm water and we capitalized. For sure. I mean, if you can talk about it maybe a little bit, what's the differences? And I mean, there's probably more than one sand flat. What, what makes one better than, and then the other, is it the presence of bait fish? Is it uh, a depth change? I mean, what are, are there some little subtleties you're looking for when you're out chasing these fish or are you pretty much cruising around with side imaging and hoping to see one and then I guess wait it out until it eats? No, I mean, side imaging is a, definitely a plus. I mean, it shows you how many fish are potentially on that flat. I think bait's a big factor. And I also think the depth of the sand flat and, or it could, it could be a mud flat too. We have some of those. So like some fl- sand flats will be, you know, three, four foot versus the, uh, there's others that could be six and seven foot. Like the one that we were fishing on the weekend when Brad and Matt were here. And I think that little bit deeper water is just key in my opinion. I was, I was just going to point out, you know, I think it's that access to that deeper water too. You know, you, you were definitely, from what i seen, you were keying in on areas that, uh, that had kind of what I would call an escape route. So we're on shallow stand, sand, but we were looking for shallow sand where there was access to deep water. And I think a lot of times, I mean, if a fish is getting pressured, they're going to escape with that deeper water. And I think that was a huge key as well. Oh, Absolutely. And like, if you find a flat that kind of almost creates like a point and then look and there's deep water on each side of that point of the flat, you know, which is what we were dealing with. I think, yeah, that was huge. So as the season progresses, okay. So, I mean, here we are, we're two and a half weeks later, you know, that water temp is going to be warming up. I'm curious, you know, in the last two weeks, Ryan, what has the water temps actually done? We've had some really kind of unusual warm weather. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume, you know, we were at 38, anywhere from 38 to 40 degree water when I was there. I'm going to assume that your water's probably touching that 45 ish at this point, or am I wrong? Actually, I was out all weekend, uh, Friday through today. We just fished a half day today. And when I left at noon today, I had 47, 48 degree water. Wow. And I'm, sh- I'm sure it jumped surface wise throughout the rest of the day. Cause we got to 83 degrees here. So, and what so that does you- is that guys, you know, spreads a lot of fish out. Cause we dealt with a super tough bite because that warm water, it started to spread the fish out. And I don't think they're thinking about food near as much as they are when that cold water is still prevalent so what are we talking i mean how how far away do you think we are from the spawn at this point um i mean anything's possible but in my opinion i would say this week next week for sure if it stays on this warming trend man that's amazing you know you think about it i'm not that far away from you and we're probably going to be you know that 
end of May timeframe for our spawn. So even with these warmer temps, I, I, it just blows my mind to think that, uh, that's how, uh, how much faster you guys kind of grow with temps. But if you think about it, we were probably 64, 65 degrees today. So, you know, you're 20 degrees warmer, basically. Definitely. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, we usually get that March ice out seems like the last five, six years. And then it just gets super warm right away. And, you know, typically late April, you know, those fish are done spawning and then that uh, post spawn bite starts and that's super good in Iowa as well. What are, what's the plan of attack for the post spawn for you? Usually I'm, I start fishing faster, you know, blades, top waters, walk the dogs are super good. Um, gliders, you know, are good for the next month or, you know, when they fish are done spawning, you know, gliders seem to become king and, you know, we get into that May time period and then I'm throwing Magnum Bulldogs and a ton of smaller blades, showgirls, junior cowgirls, and, and that bite really turns on as well. Is there an open water bite whatsoever there, Ryan? I mean, have you explored that option? Oh, definitely. There's, I mean, same deal as up in Minnesota. Our fish, you know, especially those bigger females are in the open water. And I do a lot of, you know, casting, slow on blades, big rubber in the open water, and then uh, open water trolling, just like you do up there. It's phenomenal here. Actually hoping yep. to get you down to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm super intri intrigued to come down and do it. You know, I, I can't believe that I let it go this many years without going down there and fishing. So <laughs> definitely interested in doing that. That's for sure, Ryan. Good deal. So, Ryan, one thing you talked about was glide baits, how they can be the king, especially after uh, post-spawn. How, uh, how do you typically work your glider? Are you working uh, pretty, pretty much pretty rhythmic side to side or are you are you more erratic why don't you talk a little bit about glide baits because i think a lot of people they kind of talk about glide baits being one of those baits that show muskies and from my estimation if you work them correctly which in i think you should add a lot more uh you know, not so rhythmic a lot of guys getting a real rhythm you know just kind of be you know march it back to the boat side to side and i think you got to really really work them a little bit to try to trigger strikes. And I think a lot of guys don't do that. Is, is that what you find on your fish down there in Iowa? Yeah, definitely. I see a lot of guys doing the rhythmic even here and, you know, every single cast I make with a glider at some point during my retrieve, I do two to three differences for every cast, you know, if you, and being rhythmic can be fine. But if you got a fish coming up on your bait, you want to do something completely different, get it really erratic and get that, try and get that fish worked up. Um, I, today I was running a glider and I was rhythmic and I, you know, tapped it three times real quick, boom, fish rolls up and eats it. I mean, you definitely want to be making it change throughout the retrieve. Yeah, it's kind of, like I said, a lot of guys are like, oh, yeah, you want to see fish, throw a glider on. And I'm like, eh, okay, a lot of the guys I fish with, they catch a lot of fish on gliders, and that's because they don't work them real, you know, real rhythmic. It's not just a pop, pop, pop. It'd be like a pop, pop, quick, you know, and then they'll a pause, and then maybe it'll be, 
you know, one quick pop and then let it pause and then it'll be three pops and then a pause, you know, that kind of stuff. Just try to keep mixing it up a little bit. seems like you get more strikes doing that. Yeah, you got to be doing that and you'll get far more strikes as far as the gliders go. Is that, uh, like I said, coming up, that's one of the hottest baits for this next month. Is there a particular one that you like over where you are? I really, you know, we catch a pile of fish on the six inch squirrely phantom. I personally like the nine inch squirrely hellhound. And, you know, a lot of people say that's, you know, pretty rhythmic, same, but you can get that one in your attic too. Oh yeah, absolutely. That to work. And that one you can do with even just the, you know, the, just the way you work your reel handle too. You don't even need to use, you don't even have to move the rod on the hellhound. It's so easy. Right. And that's actually what I do as far as teaching clients. Just try and teach them to, how to use it with the reel to get that side to side on that hellhound. But then just maybe like small, subtle taps of the rod, syncing it with that reel handle. Yeah. I think that's the other thing too. A lot of guys overwork glide baits too. It seems like real smaller taps can go a long way too. Yeah. Long ways. You know, Ryan, one thing we talked about just a little bit ago is how much warmer you guys can be than what Brad can be as far as temperatures go. So obviously you're you're going to run into some problems at some point in say, I don't know, potentially June, July. For, for you, it would probably be June. Is there a time where you're not fishing muskies at all typically because of water temperatures? Yeah, definitely. It, uh, it seems like every single year we run through a period of hot weather and some years are worse than others. Last year, I think I took two, two and a half full months off and it was hot that entire time, you know, well above 80 degree water temperature. So typically I shut it down for that and then, uh, start to pick back up when it cools off late August, even sometimes early September. And then I would assume on the flip side with this, it's going to work out to your favor because, you know, a lot of us are going to start to ice up somewhere in, I don't know, it obviously depends, but sometimes it's early November. Last year it was later, but I would imagine you guys can probably fish muskies, what, well into December potentially? Yeah, even sometimes January down on those reservoirs that I was talking about earlier. I know, yeah, last year we were fishing into December. Yeah, into that bite, same deal. It turns on really good again late fall. Short windows, but very extreme again. So we could probably talk a little bit about, about the fall type fishing. You guys run much for suckers over there in Iowa during the fall time like they do. I mean, it's a tradition here in Wisconsin. It seems like it's picking up steam in Minnesota. I know Brad has his opinions on it, but uh, do you do much of it over there in Iowa? You know, guys do, and they do have real good success on them on some lakes. I've ran them, and it seems like every single time I'm catching those fish on artificial and I've ran suckers quite a bit. Yes, they will eat them, and some lakes do really well on them. I just have not had super good luck on them here in the state as far as, you know, myself. Right. I would say you're, based on what I know about you, your preferred method to catch these muskies is probably casting. Do you do much for fall trolling? Yep, I do some fall trolling as well. Um, more so casting, but I've done really well fall trolling. And that's usually, it turns back into open water or I go down and fish a reservoir and something deeper breaks. You know, Ryan, if somebody's looking to, you know, get out of Wisconsin or, or Minnesota, 
shoot over to Iowa to catch some muskies, whether it be with you or by themselves. Do you got any uh, tips you can offer or a tip you can offer to help them put some fish in the boat this spring? Yeah, I would just say, you know, don't be afraid to think outside the box. I know that gets said a lot, but uh, it's true, you know. If you're coming in early ice out and first couple days of open water, you know, if you want to throw a shallow pounder, don't be afraid to. If you want to throw a bucktail, don't be afraid to. I mean, it just does all works. Just got to fish your bait and go from there. Yeah, I think I think there's, you know, there's certain baits that people think of when it comes to cold water. They think that there's a certain bait that uh, they have to use for this type of bite. And honestly, I mean, I, I say it all the time, and I'm sure people are sick of hearing me say this, but, you know, speed of retrieval is going to dictate some of that as well. And I think that if you take advantage of um, your mechanics, you can definitely course fish into eating, even when it's not the particular bait that everybody thinks you need to be throwing at that time of the year, or that type of water camps or what have you. So don't get stuck in that rut, I think is what you're kind of saying. Yeah. It's all about how you applicate your bait. I mean, you're fishing in super cold water, so you definitely want to be slow. But when those fish are, turn on and are aggressive, you can be a little more aggressive with your baits. Hard rips on the twitch bait, longer pause, you know. Using a bucktail, slow roll it. You know, if you got a fish coming in, speed up. I mean, when they want to eat, it doesn't matter how cold the water is. And it doesn't matter about that speed of retrieval when it gets down to the nitty-gritty and you got a fish coming in. Uh, if they want it, they're going to eat it. And so, you know, reading the fish is definitely a big factor as well, but, you know, don't be afraid to speed things up a little bit. I know Matt and I struggled. I mean, we're like, man, we got to slow things down. We got to slow things down. You got to kind of remind yourself, but first time out for the year, I definitely wanted to go fast and just kind of, you know, get into that rhythm of musky fishing again. And it had been a few months. So, it, it's kind of weird, man. You, mentally, you really got to think about what you're doing. 100% for sure. Well, Ryan, we just want to thank you for coming out and talking about some Iowa muskies with us. It kind of gave us a, an idea of what we're dealing with, lakes and stocking, and kind of talked about that pre-spawn bite. If somebody's looking to get out and book a trip with you this, this year, how do they go about doing that again? Uh, the best way would get a hold of me on my cell, 641 529 two six eight zero otherwise facebook ryan joseph becker and instagram backdog 23 and for anybody that doesn't know should follow him on instagram puts a couple big fish in the net every single season like much bigger than me so if you're following me on his on instagram you shouldn't you should be following ryan instead (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, there's something about ryan ryan has a uh, a fish bone and i'm basically meeting the fish like to come to his boat so he's uh he's always on them and uh he knows how to get the job done so do yourself a favor and check him out that's for sure absolutely he's a fishy guy puts big fish in the net like i said i'm i'm almost jealous of him i mean it's uh it's impressive ryan's put a lot of big fish in the net and he's he's still a young kid i'll call him a kid i mean how old are you ryan you can't be much much more than 28 are you I'm 32. Oh, okay. Well, you look like you're 28, so. <laughs> Thank you. 
He's just in good shape. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Plus, he probably doesn't have any kids that put gray hairs in his beard, right, Brad? Uh, there's some truth to that as well. Yep. Oh uh, yeah. Well, Ryan, it was uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you tonight. I'm glad you you were able to make it out and and talk about Iowa Muskies with us. It's definitely a topic we haven't talked about a lot. So um, yeah, thanks again, and uh, you know have a great have a great season, have a great spring, and uh, I'll keep watching you on Instagram. All right, perfect. Thank you guys as well. Take care, Ryan. Thank you. Yep. Take care.